Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 8. And tonight, Lord willing, we will complete John chapter 8. As you're turning to John chapter 8, last week we saw how the Lord Jesus Christ exposed the Jewish religious leaders. The men that the Jewish people depended on to lead them in the right way, to to tell them the truth about God. How he exposed, exposed them as sons of Satan. And they're sons of Satan and it's proved by what they wanted and by what they did. Satan is a murderer from the beginning and they want to murder the very son of God. Satan is a liar by nature and they lied about the Lord Jesus Christ. They said he had a demon. And they refused the truth that he tells them about himself and about themselves. Now tonight we're going to look at two things. First of all, in the passage we're going to read here in just a minute, we're going to see that God's word gives us the ultimate proof that Satan is these religious bigwigs father. That they are children of the devil. The ultimate proof of that. And then secondly, we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ give the boldest claim to his identity. So, follow me as I read from verse 48 down to the end of the chapter. The Jews answered and said to him, that is to Jesus, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Notice, now we're not going to preach on this tonight, but notice there he says, That the one who seeks, that would be his father, seeks Christ's glory. You want to please God the Father? Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Ever. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death ever. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly Truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, say it with me, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself. A better translation. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. The ultimate proof 
that Satan is the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious bigwigs, the religious authorities' father. In verse 48, they say, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? Now remember, they're throwing that up into his face. They've accused him already of being illegitimate. They have said, we were not born of fornication. And the implication is you were. I mean, everybody knows that Mary was already greatly pregnant by the time that she was married. But it wasn't just Joseph. No, you're the son of a Samaritan. A despised half-pagan. That's what the Samaritans were. The Assyrians came in in 721 B.C. And they took the northern ten tribes out of Israel. Left a remnant. The poorest. The, the ones that were useless to them as far as their skills and their crafts. Left them there in the land. Scattered around a few. And then they imported all these pagan peoples from other parts they had conquered. And the pagan peoples intermarried with the little remnant of Israelites that were left there. And they blended the religions. So you had the worship of Yahweh blended with the worship of pagan gods. And that's the reason why when Nehemiah comes back into the land, he will not allow the Samaritans to have any part in the rebuilding of the temple. So the Jews looked on the Samaritans as half-pagans, as heretics, as idolaters. Even though by this time the Samaritans had given up open idolatry and just claimed to worship Yahweh a different way. So they're throwing the biggest insult they can at him. Not only were you illegitimate, but a Samaritan was your father. You're not even pure Jewish. And you have a demon. They've just accused the Son of God of being demonized. Now, I don't need to take you there, but you know what that means. They've committed what we refer to as the unpardonable sin. The unforgivable sin. If you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 22 through 24 and then verses 30 to 32. A demon-possessed man was, who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him. So that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were astounded and were saying, Can this man really be the son of David? In other words, it looks like he's giving evidence to be the Messiah. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Then look down to verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. They are so deluded, and I'm talking about the Pharisees now, who, are, who have just accused the Lord Jesus Christ of being demonized. They are so deluded by the demonic influence in their own flesh. <laughs> Excuse me. 
that they flatly deny the witness of the Holy Spirit who is with them. I mean, the Holy Spirit himself is bearing testimony to everything that the Lord Jesus says and does. That he's the Son of God. Hmm. The Holy Spirit's internal conviction to us that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, is the only way anyone ever comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit authored the scriptures. We looked at that last week in uh, morning worship. He's the one who inspired the scriptures, or better yet, breathed out the scriptures through the writers. But it takes the Holy Spirit to make words on a page become life in us. Now the Bible is the word of God, whether anybody believes it or not. Let me make that plain. Yes. But we are not convinced of its truth until the Spirit himself convinces us of its truth. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the only reason that anyone believes the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the only reason that anyone will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, is that they are convicted by the witness of the Holy Spirit about him from the Holy Spirit's own words. Remember what Jesus said in John 3. You must be born again. That unless one is born of the Spirit, he can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even comprehend it correctly. You can't understand anything about it. And the Holy Spirit is convicting. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to who Jesus is. I mean, he's got 12 apostles with him right now. There are large crowds following him now who are being convinced that he is the Messiah. But these men have so hardened their hearts against the testimony of the Holy Spirit when they hear Jesus speak and when they see what Jesus does that they are hopeless. They have just called the conviction of the Holy Spirit a demonic deception. Now, once you have shut your heart to the Holy Spirit, and once you have convinced yourself that any, it, this conviction that you feel is actually a demonic delusion, what else can we do? What else can God do? He has convicted you as much as you can be convicted. You've been confronted with the truth. You have the witness of God's own spirit and you reject that. There's nothing left. Nothing will convince you now of the truth. So now they have so hardened their hearts that they can't believe. Their own hard hearts will allow them to believe. And then beginning in verse 49, we have the boldest claim that the Lord Jesus Christ will make about his own identity. In verses 49 through 55, the Lord Jesus first reiterates that God himself is his father. Now, he began claiming that he is the son of God, the one unique, only human son of God when he met with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was saying that in Nicodemus. And he kept repeating this claim publicly to the Pharisees in chapter 5 and following verse 17. In chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, where he says, I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my Father who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's making that claim. He keeps referring to the Father over and over and over in chapter 8. And they know who he's talking about. They've known that ever since chapter 5 verse 17. Where he said, my father works until now and I work. And they picked up stones to stone him because he was making himself the son of God. Making himself equal with God. But here, in chapter five, chapter 8 rather, in verse 38, he says, I speak the things which I have seen not just with the father, but with my father. And then in verse 39, he's, uh, just, excuse me, verse 49, he says, I honor my father. And they know who he's referring to. And then in verse 50, he says, the one who seeks and judges and who seeks his glory, obviously it's implied, is my father. And then in verse 51, he makes this amazing statement. Notice what he says. Truly, truly. Remember, that's the rabbinic formula. That, that's how the rabbis taught. They would say, truly, truly. It's the same way of saying, listen up. I'm about to say something very important. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Pharisees, if anyone keeps my word, that is, if he guards it, if he guards it like a treasure, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Ever. Now, is Jesus saying that nobody that trusted him will ever die? Physically? No. You know, he says, he'll say the same thing later in John chapter 11. That everyone who trusts in him, anyone who trusts in him, will never die. And those who die and believe in him will be raised. What? He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He says, anyone keeps my word, he will not be eternally lost. Because another way of saying that is if anyone keeps my word, I will give him everlasting life. I mean, he's been talking about giving eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. And he's setting them up for the hammer blow when he says that. And if I can just say it now, they walk right into it. You know, it's just like you're leading with your left, you're leading with your left, you're leading with your left. You know, and so the guy just comes in, he's going to get you, and then you nail him with the right. And that's about what he's doing here. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. <clears throat> We're fully convinced. Abraham died, and the prophets died also. And you say... If anyone treasures my word, he will never taste of death ever. 
They think they have Jesus pinned. They think they got him set up. You're either going to have to acknowledge that you're not greater than Abraham. Or if you acknowledge you're greater than Abraham, everybody's going to be offended by that because Abraham is the great patriarch. Who do you make yourself out to be? Folks, that's the question of all questions. Who does Jesus say that he is? And they just gave the Lord Jesus Christ the platform to make clear he is God. Stay with me. Look at verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father. Here we are. We're still talking. He's still proving that God the Father is his Father who glorifies me. My Father, whom you say is your God. He has finally done it. He's finally come right out and said for everyone to hear in public, the God you claim to worship, Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai, He is my Father. Who do I make myself out to be? I make myself out to be the one unique Son of Yahweh. Mm. My Father is the God who appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of Joseph. He's the God of Moses. He's the God who gave the law at Sinai. He's the God of Israel and the prophets. And whom you say is our God, that's my Father. Now, in verse 55, the Lord Jesus Christ takes his rightful seat as judge. Remember, he told us back in chapter 5 that all judgment had been given unto him. Here in verse 55, he takes his rightful seat as judge and he condemns the religious scholars for their hypocrisy. In verse 55, he said, you have not known him. Wait a minute. These guys have memorized huge tracts of scripture. Jesus says, you have not known him. You don't even recognize him. But I know him. Different word. I know him intimately. I know him intuitively. I know him to the depths because I've been with him forever. From the beginning. If I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and I treasure his word. He says... You claim to be the most scrupulous, to to be the most devoted worshipers of Yahweh, and you don't even know him. You're liars. Now, Jesus is doing this in public, folks. I mean, he's still in the temple. There's still the crowd there that, remember, uh, seems like forever now, but it's just been a, a few minutes, that had gathered to hear him teach in the morning. And then the Pharisees came in with the the woman caught in adultery and he took care of them. And then it says that many of the Jews believed in him and they proved what kind of belief they had for about five minutes. And now he's having this confrontation with the very ones who claimed that they believed in him. 
He's still in public. He's right there in the temple with all these people listening. He says, you religious leaders, you Pharisees, you scribes, you scholars, you Bible teachers, you liars, you claim to worship Yahweh, but you worship a caricature of Yahweh. You worship a twisted, distorted perversion of Yahweh. You worship a God of your own making that you have made to look just like you. And you call him Yahweh. You're just like your fathers in the wilderness when they made a golden calf and called him Yahweh. They're idolaters. You worshipers are idolaters. I'm surprised they just won't tear him apart limb from limb right there on the spot. Except for one point. His hour had not yet come. Jesus is calling the religious leaders liars. But he says, I know him. You don't even know him, but I know him. And I keep his word. Do you see what the Lord Jesus Christ has done? He is calling the religious standard of Israel a bunch of liars. Those who profess to lead God's people to know God, he says, you've lied to them. You don't even know the God that you claim to teach. You are, in Matthew 15, 14 says, you are blind guides leading the blind. You are spiritually useless. But even worse. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 52, Jesus is condemning these Pharisees, these religious leaders. And he says, woe to you scholars of the law, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. That is how to be saved, how to be reconciled to God. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. You said the way that you're saved is by becoming like us. And by scrupulously keeping all the religious ceremonies. And by scrupulously keeping all of God's law. As if you could keep God's law. They said the way to be saved is to obey God's law perfectly. But you don't keep it. You studied the law. But you didn't pay attention to what it said about salvation. That Abraham believed God. And that's how he was justified. And for those common folks who heard you teach, and who, who heard scripture being read in, in uh, synagogue every Sabbath, those who heard it and said, oh, I'm getting it now. I get it. I get it. No, no. You said, no, no, it's not that way. And you tripped them up. The ones who were coming to know God, you got in the way and pushed them out of the way. You had the key. You had the scriptures. You could have told them the truth, but you perverted it. You twisted it. After your own image. And you hindered those. Who were being drawn into the truth. From understanding the truth. You are not just spiritually useless. You are absolutely dangerous to men's souls. Like your father the devil. And then he says in contrast to you. 
I know my Father Yahweh. I treasure his word. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. He who believes has eternal life. If anyone keeps my word, my word, he will never see death, ever. And the crowds who came to hear him teach that morning are still there. And the Lord Jesus Christ, before the crowds, before the people who had looked up to these Pharisees, the Lord Jesus Christ has judged these Pharisees, these religious bigwigs, and he's condemned them as sons of the devil, as murderers, as liars, and as criminally ignorant of God. And by implication, that they are a danger to men's souls. He's intentionally thrown down the gauntlet in their face in public. He is staring the poisonous viper in its eyes right there in the temple. And after doing all of that, now he's going to answer their question. Who do you make yourself out to be? Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham. Now you are biological descendants of your father Abraham. I acknowledge that. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Could you please find me a place in Genesis where it says, it's recorded, that God had had explained or had revealed to Abraham about the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't any place. Now, somebody might disagree, might agree, excuse me, somebody might disagree with me, but if you're wrong, we still love you. <laughs> In my humble and most accurate opinion, there are things that Abraham knew that are not recorded. God revealed things to Abraham that are not recorded. Do you know how much we want to know all the little details of the history and all this? Why did God do this? Why did Abraham say that? Why, why we have this? Why did that happen? We want to know an awful lot. But what has been recorded for us? What we need to know. What we need to know. Not what we want to know, but what we need to know. Remember, it's going to say in this book, the book of John, Jesus did many more things than are recorded in this book. But these things are recorded that you might believe that he is the son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. Not everything he did, but just what you need to know in order that you might be saved and grow in grace. So Abraham knew more about God's plan of salvation than has been recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And that's why the Lord Jesus can say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Mm. And they say, what? You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not say that he saw Abraham. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. But here's where it gets good. Verse 58. Jesus, this uh, man that they accuse of being an illegitimate son of a Samaritan, this man whom they claim to be demonized, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, back to listen up, I say to you, before Abraham was, I 
am. And they know exactly what he means. So, to prove where I'm going, turn with me please to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Begin with verse 13 down through verse 14. <clears throat> Moses said to God, Behold, I am about to come to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The scripture was given originally. This book was given originally. The law was given originally in Hebrew. Now when Alexander the Great conquered the whole eastern part of the Mediterranean world, he put it under one government and there was peace in the eastern part of the Mediterranean world. And the Jews decided this is a fantastic time to evangelize the Greeks. And so there were, we're told, 70 rabbis who gathered together in Alexandria and took the Jewish scriptures and translated them into Greek. 70 rabbis and they were comparing their work with one another and when everything finally agreed and they figured they were of one mind that God had guided them in their translation then they put it out it's called the Septuagint the 70 and it became the standard Bible the standard Old Testament for all the Greek speaking Jews Almost all the quotations we have in the New Testament are from the Septuagint. That's why if you'll read something, uh, uh, an Old Testament citation in the New Testament, and then you go back and look it up in the Old Testament, it doesn't seem, the words don't seem to jibe exactly. It's because almost everyone that was writing scripture or that was using the Bible in the New Testament was using the Greek Septuagint. And in the Greek, ego means I. I me means I am. Now, Greek's a great language. You have the verb and, and the noun in, the, in this one word. And when you have ego, I me, it means I. I myself am. And in the Septuagint, are you with me? In the Septuagint, when you come to verse 14... <clears throat> God said to Moses, Ego, I me. I am who I am. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here, in the Greek New Testament, he says, Before Abraham was, Ego, I me. I, I myself am. And they immediately recognized that he calls himself Yahweh. That the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I am Yahweh. All along, I've been telling you, I am God's own son. 
and that I will judge you on the last day and that I give eternal life to whoever I want to. You blind guides didn't get the clues. Listen up. Who do I make myself out to be? I am. I, I myself am. I am who you say is your God. I mean, this is breathtaking. I mean, you can just feel the air being sucked out of the temple when the Lord Jesus Christ is saying this. No more hints, no more clues, no more beating around the bush, no, <clears throat> no more hoping you're going to get it. Here it is, out in the open, plain as day, I am Yahweh. The Jesus disciples heard it, the crowd heard it, and the Jews heard it. And notice what it says in verse 59. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, your translation probably says, and went out of the temple. A better translation is, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Hmm. Why did they pick up stones? Because Deuteronomy 18.20 says, you shall not allow a false prophet to live. If a man comes and prophesies falsely, you kill him. And what do they think Jesus is doing? He's committing blasphemy. He's prophesying falsely. And so we're going to execute him. Now, little side note. I always wondered where they get the stones. Um, I mean, even in our rental place where, we, where Providence meets in Asheboro. I mean, it's a rented facility. But we come in there on the Lord's Day morning and there's not rocks laying around. Now, maybe there's a spot that's been missed that wasn't vacuumed, you know, that week. Or maybe there's a hymnal that's fallen off of a chair onto the floor. But we don't have stuff just laying around on the floor. And this is the temple. Surely they don't have rocks just laying around in the temple. And then I was reading uh, Hendrickson and, and, and reading Leon uh, Morris. And they reminded me of something. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Remember that? <clears throat> and they objected and said, it's taken 46 years to get the temple to where it is now. It's been under renovation for 46 years. And it's, the renovation is going to continue on for about another 30 years, historians tell us. So there is stonework going on in certain parts of the temple all the time. So I stand corrected. They found where there was some work going on and they started picking up rocks. But you got to remember, these are rocks big enough to kill a man. And this could be the corner of a stone that, that's as big as a basketball. And because they were so convinced that he had just committed blasphemy, they decided they were going to kill him right there on the spot. Now remember, only the Romans had the authority to to kill, to, to execute capital punishment. But their blood is up to the point they don't care. It's just like with Stephen. When Stephen confronts the Sanhedrin in their faces and begins to testify to Jesus in their faces, they don't care. They just go out and lynch him on the spot. So they're going to lynch Jesus right here on the spot. In the temple. They're going to murder a man in the temple. Just like Zechariah had been murdered in the temple by their fathers. But what happens? His hour has not yet come. 
And so, like I said, he was hidden. Who hid him? You know the answer. His father hid him from their eyes. And he went out of the temple. So here's the point for us. This was, this is a delight to teach. This is joy to teach. This is joy to read, but it's even more joy to say it. And you all know it. This, this is nothing new. I haven't said anything tonight that was new. You, you know this. But here's the point for us. Jesus of Nazareth, a human man, truly man, is God's only begotten son. He's his only natural human son. But he is also God the son. He is Yahweh become human. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. He is the God who destroyed all the gods of Israel and set his people free. Jesus is the one, is the eternal God, the Son, who gave his law on Sinai to his, his people, Israel. He is the one who promised Israel that they would have Canaan, and he delivered Canaan into their hands. He is the one who created his mother. Yes. And he's the one who created us. He is God Almighty become human. He is El Shaddai. He is Adonai. He is Yahweh. He is God Almighty become human for us in order to suffer our hell that we deserve for us in our place. That he took the Father's wrath against our sins on himself for us. He did it willingly. That we might be saved. That we might be reconciled to the Father. That we might receive eternal life. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And that's why we worship him as God along with the Father. That's why we praise him as God along with the Father. And that's why we can pray to him as God along with the Father. And that's why we stand on this and we proclaim this and we tell this to people that want to know what it is you believe. We believe Jesus Christ is God along with the Father. He is God incarnate who came to die for his people that we might be saved. And that all who will trust in him as Lord, as God, as Savior will be saved. That's good news. Yes. That's good news. Pray with me. Oh, Father, thank you that you delight in glorifying your Son. And so tonight, as we have tried to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ out of the very word that your Spirit has inspired, oh, we pray that you've been pleased with this. And I pray that even as you have given Brian many opportunities and as you give us opportunities to talk to people who think they're Christians or to talk to people who really don't know the truth, that we'll make it plain, that we'll make it crystal clear that Jesus Christ is God who loves his people and who has come for his people and who will save all who repent and trust in him. May we do so to your good pleasure and to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Stand with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.